reading for the fourth Sunday of Lent comes out of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, and then 11b through 32. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost, but is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The Gospel of the Lord. O people of God, may the grace and peace of our triune God be yours today and forever. Amen. As we move here towards the end of March and into April, we are reaching what is a very important season for some of our young people, specifically our high school upperclassmen. And this is commonly known as prom season. My son is a senior this year, prom is on his mind. And so lately, he went off to get the tuxes lined up that he will utilize for prom season. Now, if you've ever been through this with your kids or if you yourself have been through it, you know what I'm talking about. The girls are thinking about dresses and hairdos and, and, all, and makeup and all that kind of stuff. And the guys are thinking about fancy tuxes and what they'll wear and all that. And so as this was going on, we sat around my, my, at my house at the dinner table and we were talking about tuxes and he was talking about all the different options and the different colors that he could utilize and all the different things, the choices that he had to make. And he said, and one of them was the shirts. We had to decide, would we wear some fancy weird colored shirt or would he go very traditional and wear white or would I wear the black shirt and look like John Wick? 
As soon as he said that, my wife kind of perked up and she said, John Wick, who's John Wick? And this led to a conversation. Now, admittedly, my wife is not a movie, um, a movie uh, aficionado like I am. I watch a lot of movies, and so she wasn't familiar with who John Wick is. Maybe you're not either, and if not, let me explain. John Wick, played by Keanu Reeves, is a character in what is currently a trilogy, though there are rumored to be more movies coming down the pipe. And the whole premise for these movies, each one gets a little bit more far-fetched as we go along, but the original movie itself seemed to be somewhat grounded, and here's the premise. John Wick is a retired former assassin for the Russian Mafia, and throughout the course of this movie, he is seeking revenge and he kills a whole lot of people in his, his uh, quest for revenge as he tries to find this one individual who started this whole thing off by stealing John's car and killing his dog. And if you are a fan of this type of movie, which admittedly probably is not the nicest premise, but if you are a fan of this type of movie, and I am, you're probably like me in that as time goes on, you are cheering for the hero as person after person after person is killed. And in the end, when he finally gets, spoilers, to that one individual, you think to yourself, yes, he got what was coming to him. He deserved what he got. I can't help but think if you caught last week's video, perhaps this sounds familiar. It's the same type of situation. This idea, this sensibility that I think we're all capable of whether we realize it or not, the idea of they got what's coming to them. They got what they deserve. This is prevalent in us as individuals, and it's also present within the church. Here in the Lutheran church that I am a part of, we do not have to look very far back in our history to see this type of thing. And in fact, at times, we even perhaps celebrate it. Now, if I was to rattle off a name, perhaps you would recognize it, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a young Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. And he was arrested by the Nazis, and he was eventually convicted and killed because of his involvement in a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. We look back on that, and I don't think we have to try very hard to justify what he was up to. He was able to justify what he talked about because of the monstrosities that Adolf Hitler oversaw. Here's where this gives me a little bit of pause, but I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm going to share this about myself. I share this mentality with Bonhoeffer right now, given events that are going on in the world. There is an individual who is spearheading a giant army that is attacking innocent people in the Ukraine. This individual has threatened worldwide repercussions if he doesn't get his way. And I can't speak for you, but I myself have wondered if the world would be a little bit safer if he wasn't in it. This is hard for me to admit, but it's true. And I will seek forgiveness from God on that front. But this is something that's real about me. And I can't help but think that this is probably prevalent for a lot of people. Now, you may be wondering, what does all of this stuff, what does this human tendency to think that people get what they deserve have to do with this scripture for today? Well, let's explore that just a little bit. This passage, which if you may have noticed had a little bit of a gap in it, 
This is in response. This parable that Jesus tells, this story that Jesus tells is in response to criticism that he has received for the way that he interacts with people that the religious elite claim to be unworthy. He eats with sinners. He spends time with them. He celebrates with them. He shouldn't do that. He's criticized for it. And Jesus, in doing this, responds with actually not just the one, but three parables. Two of them are quite a bit shorter, but they all three pair up together or partnered together into this one theme that I think is important for us to realize. Now, the first parable that is skipped over is the parable of the shepherd with a hundred sheep. Maybe you've heard this before. There's a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost. So he leaves the 99 and he goes searching. He searches everywhere. He searches high and low until he finally finds that lost sheep and he picks it up and he brings it home and he calls together his neighbors and he says, let us celebrate that which was lost has been found. The second parable is very, very similar. There is a woman with 10 coins and she loses one of them and so she lights a lamp and she searches every nook and cranny in her house she searches high and low she's moving all the furniture around she looks in every possible place until she finds that one coin and then she calls all of her neighbors together same deal let us celebrate that which was lost has been found and then he goes into this rather longer more in-depth more detailed story about a father with two sons younger brother comes up to him and in something that must have been very insulting to dad he basically says you're dead to me give me my share of the inheritance and dad does just that and then younger brother he packs up all of his belongings and this newfound wealth that he has and he goes off into a distant country where he squanders it in dissolute living and folks I'll let you fill in the blanks with dissolute living you can answer that question of what that means in whatever way you see fit he squanders the money and when the money's all gone, all of a sudden there's a famine, and now he's in need. He's got no food. And so he hires himself out. And the only work he can seemingly find is to be the individual who takes food to pigs. Now, here's what's strange about that. In his culture, pigs were unclean. He would have never willingly been anywhere near a pig, much less work with them directly, and he sure wouldn't want to eat the food, but he is that bad off. Things are this bad for him. And at this point, little brother seems to hit rock bottom. He bottoms out, and he comes to himself. We hear that, and he realizes, he says, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough to eat? And here I am starving to death. I am not worthy to be my father's son anymore, but I will go and I will beg his forgiveness and I will ask him to consider me a hired hand so that I may live. And that's exactly what he does. He heads towards home. Now enter into the story, dad. Where dad differs a little bit from those other two is he's not actively searching around to try and find that which is lost, but we do hear that he's watching. I can only imagine day after day after day, dad is standing at the gate, just hoping to catch a glimpse of his long lost son. And finally he does. And all decorum is thrown out the window. He hikes up his robes. He runs to his son. He kisses him. His son tries to apologize. Dad's not having it. He says, get the robe, put it on him, put the ring on his finger, go get the fatted calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate. This son of mine that was lost is found. This son was dead, and now he is alive. We must celebrate. And that's exactly what they do. The party has started. Everything is wonderful. Everything is joyful. The DJ's pumping, and the beat is going, and the music is playing. An older brother who's out in the field 
starts to hear it, and he wonders what's going on. So he calls one of the servants, and he says, hey, what's happening? And the servant tells him, your brother who was gone has returned. Your father is celebrating. Come into the celebration. He who was dead is now alive. And older brother gets pissed. And he refuses to go in. And so now dad goes searching for that which is missing yet again. He was searching and he was looking for little brother. Now he's going out looking for big brother because he's missing from the celebration as well. And big brother rips into dad. For years, I have done whatever you asked. I have followed the rules. I have done exactly what was expected of me. I have done everything, and you have never celebrated with me. You have never even allowed me this little bitty celebration. And now this son of yours who was gone and squandered his inheritance, has squandered your wealth, you put the robe on him, you put the ring on his finger, you reinstate him into the family, and you have this celebration, and he just goes off. Big brother is not having it. And in this, he is revealing the judgment that he has placed on little brother. He is revealing that little brother is not worthy in his eyes. He does not deserve your love. He does not deserve to be a part of this family. He doesn't deserve it. But dad says, you are always with me. All of this, you are already a part of. This is already yours. But your brother was dead, and now he is alive. He was lost, now he is found. And because of that, we must celebrate. This is where the story ends. We don't have a resolution. We don't know what happens with Big Brother if he relents and comes in if he joins the celebration, if perhaps he has a change of heart and, he's, and, and he is joyful too, we don't know. This is where it ends. And I think perhaps that is intentional because this world, while good, is not perfect. And that judgmental attitude that he was so fully embodying towards his brother is still very prevalent. It's prevalent with us, within us as individuals. And folks, it's prevalent within the church. We don't like to admit it, but it is. Something happened this past week at a place that's very special to me, that's very important to me. It happened at Luther Seminary up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Luther is where I did my seminary education. News broke this week of a disagreement, of a refusal on the part of the leadership of Luther Seminary to engage in a process and a distinction known as reconciling in Christ, or it's known as RIC. Some of you may not want me to talk about this, but guess what? I'm going to talk about it. RIC is a distinction that specifies that that religious organization, whether it is a congregation or, in this case, a seminary, is fully embracing, celebrating, and including LGBTQA individuals celebrating their presence, celebrating everything about them, recognizing their common humanity and inviting them to be a part of the community. That is what RIC stands for and what that distinction means. Luther Seminary, which is one of seven or eight seminaries in the ELCA, or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, is the only seminary that does not hold that distinction. And most recently, just about a week ago, they refuse to engage in the process. 
This refusal is based on the, the statement that Luther has made that they are an inclusive, an inclusive uh, seminary, that all are included, but they're not going to go through that process. And this has resulted in the hurt, in the exclusion of certain people. They have been deemed unworthy of full recognition and inclusion. And I can't help but think that's precisely what Big Brother is doing to Little Brother, passing judgment on who's worthy of acceptance and who isn't. This is a reality in the world, whether this situation or whether any situation, that we all have those individuals that we deem unworthy, that we look at as less than. Whether we do it consciously or whether we do it subconsciously, we're all guilty of this. And yes, I'm including myself in it too. If it's not this group, it's that group. If it's not this individual, it's that individual. We are all guilty of passing judgment and placing ourselves in the place of God, which as we all know, we have no business being in. If we can learn anything from this parable today, it's the truth about ourselves and the truth about the church and the truth about every single organization that's made up of people, which is pretty much all of them, that we all have this tendency to pass judgment on who's in and who's out. But dad says we must celebrate. Dad deems little brother to be worthy of inclusion, to be instated into the family as a full member. And he says to big brother, and you are already a part of this. We must all celebrate. That which has lost has been found. That which was dead is now alive. I hope that this gives us pause. Wherever we might fall on that particular train of thought, and yes, I know there is a wide range and we all have our opinions and we all have our understandings and we're all at different places along that particular spectrum, but I hope we remember to stop and consider how God thinks of every single one of us, to remember the why of what Jesus' ministry is as he tells us, I am drawing all people to myself, whether we deem them to be worthy or not. What I can only think with this parable, this story that Jesus is using to illustrate a point, it's that the celebration is ongoing and it will never be fully complete until everyone is included in it. Everyone. Because we are all members of humanity. And humanity, God calls good. That includes you. That includes me. That includes everyone, whether we think they're worthy of it or not. I'll close with another example. Now, I've shared this before. It's possible you've heard me say it. I have a belief that one day the promise of Christ will come to fulfillment for me and I will be in heaven, whatever that's going to look like, and I'm going to take a look around and I'm going to see somebody there and I'm going to be like, you're here? And they're going to look back at me and they're going to say, you made it? It's not up to us to decide who's in and who's out. That's God's place. And the only thing I can think of is Jesus saying, I have called all people to myself we must celebrate. Amen.